So, uh, throughout the Bible, uh, there seems to be a theme of you know, prophecy and the prophetic. Uh, you know, all the way from the Old Testament, very early on, we have some prophecies that were made. And then we have some fulfillments of those prophecies. And then even into the New Testament, we have more fulfillments of prophecy. And then uh, we have some more prophecies, right? So throughout uh, this whole book that we call the Word of God, we've got these prophecies going on. And I, I have some examples that we can pull up of a couple of biblical prophecies. So here's one. There's a prophecy that a child would be born in Bethlehem, right? So that's a biblical prophecy. That seems prophetic. Uh, here's another one that we would have a Savior who uh, died on a tree uh, to save the world. That seems to be prophetic. Uh, now, sadly, uh, many things today outside of the Bible, not that all things outside of the Bible are, but uh, many things claiming to be prophetic rather than being prophetic actually uh, seem a bit more pathetic uh, than anything else. And we've got some examples of this also. Uh, 88 reasons why the rapture is in 1988. Uh, I can think of at least one why it's not. Uh, so uh, the next we have uh, the cover of Time Magazine uh, at Y2K. Anyone remember that? I think it was like 10 years old, and uh, my parents were telling me the Internet was going to take over the world and launch all the nuclear weapons. And we had dial-up. Can dial-up really do anything? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, so here's, here's the next one. I certainly hope we didn't miss it, right? This seems like an eventful 1992. Uh, are you ready for the rapture? Jesus is coming on October 28th. 1992, oddly specific. Uh, then we have one more. Uh, G this is a newer one. Jesus will return on March 5th, 2014. I would imagine this was a bit of a, you know, kind of a bummer spring for this guy. Uh, you know, March 5th, it didn't, didn't happen. Uh, but he had his countdown clock, you know, days, hours, minutes, and seconds uh, since until he returns. You read it twice and the credibility seems to decrease a bit. Uh, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure why. Uh, these predictions, rather than being prophetic, uh, they seem to be uh, a little bit more pathetic than anything else, right? Uh, God doesn't seem to be in those. Those seem to be just uh, pathetic attempts to uh, put a date on something that, that didn't happen. Uh, now, uh, here, here at La Palma Christian Center, uh, the prophetic uh, New Testament prophecy is something that's in practice very much so. Uh, we have a pastor who places much, uh, great, great amounts of value on that. And it's a great thing because uh, many of us have been encouraged by it. Uh, many of us have taken part in it. And I want to take a minute. If you've ever, uh, you know, been used in this way, been used in prophecy, or uh, if a prophecy or a, a word from the Lord, uh, is something we often call it, uh, has been given to you, I'd like you to raise your hand just to take an informal poll to see you know, how much people are being used in this. And it's great to see people uh, used in this. Now, I, I'd also like to take another poll. Could you raise your hand if you've ever been curious about the topic, right? If you've ever wanted to know more about what was going on, right? Like, is new scripture happening every time someone prophesies? Are these the exact words of the Lord uh, that are happening whenever someone prophesies, right? Uh, those are all fair questions, and... Uh, Personally, these were questions that uh, sort of became stumbling blocks in both my ability to uh, be used in this way and to receive a message that someone else was trying to give me in this way. You know, I, I would hear uh, in different places, you know, a pastor was about to get up and preach and they would 
they would introduce him as, as prophetic. And I'm thinking, man, that's a lot of pressure, right? Like, if someone got up and called me prophetic before I was about to preach and then I blew it, right, that would be the worst. And so I might immediately, like Sam would say, let's scratch the prophetic thing, right? I'm just going to talk, and you can decide uh, based on that. Uh, this, word gets, this word gets used quite a bit. Uh, you know, it gets used about sermons, art, or music, and I really just wasn't sure what was going on, and so I wasn't sure what to make of it, right? I was often equating it uh, with Old Testament prophecy, right? And I thought people were just out of their minds to think, how is that song prophetic, right? In the same way the prophecy might have happened in the Old Testament. Now, as I came to understand the Bible's teaching on prophecy in the New Testament, I can tell you firsthand two things. First, I was more willing to be used in that way, and I was less likely to misuse it, right? Those are fair things. When you understand something more, you are then more willing to be used in that way, and you are less likely to misuse it, right? So this New Testament prophecy, this is something that happens quite a bit, but uh, the, one of the main questions is, how did we get to this new type of prophecy that, that occurs? You know, it was highly anticipated in the Old Testament. Moses in Numbers, he talked about uh, his great desire to see everyone prophesy and uh, to see the Spirit poured out on everyone. And in the book of Joel, in chapter 2, there's a prophecy that the Spirit would be poured out on everyone after redemption, that everyone would prophesy. And then, right, Jesus comes and he ushers in a new age of the Holy Spirit. So we all relate to the Holy Spirit differently after Jesus did his ministry in the fullness and power of the Spirit. Now, after he did that, he also told us, right, that he, there was going to be an outpouring of the Spirit. And at Pentecost, or uh, when, uh, at Pentecost, when Peter gave his sermon, he, he recognized that that outpouring had happened and it was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel, right? So we're at this, this new place where a prophecy of Joel has been fulfilled Everyone relates to the Holy Spirit in a new way. It's a new era, and we all have access to this gift of prophecy, but, right, but now what, right? We can do it, but, uh, but what's going on, right? When, when I don't understand, when I don't know how to go about doing it, I'm generally not going to take advantage of that. So my hope for today is to give a better understanding of New Testament prophecy and that that understanding will help us to be used in this way more, and it will help us to receive messages from the Lord or from others uh, more. And we're going to look at three, three parts. Uh, we'll look at the why behind prophecy, right? Why would we do this? We'll look at the what, uh, what's going on, and then we'll look, at the, we'll look at the how and just see how we should go about uh, doing this if, in fact, we're going to be used in this way. Now, when we look at the why, uh, we have to talk about manifestations of the spirit in general. No one uses that word. No one talks about manifestations, but it's in the Bible, so we have to talk about it. Uh, so manifestations just means uh, a particular thing that the Holy Spirit is doing, right? So a manifestation could just be a healing. It could be uh, the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin. It could be a message in tongues. These are, these are all manifestations of the spirit. Now, uh, the work on the cross uh, gave us forgiveness of sins, but it also gave us a promise of future glory, right? A promise of glory in heaven. 
And the gift of the Holy Spirit that we have access to is first a down payment of that future glory. We are given the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to convict us of sin, to guide us, and to use these gifts so that we can be reminded of the glory that awaits us in heaven. 2 Corinthians 1.22 says, And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee, a guarantee of something greater. Uh, it says then in chapter 5, verse 5, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. Now, life with the Holy Spirit is great, right? We can attest to that. Life is better with the Holy Spirit than it is without the Holy Spirit. But the promise is that there is something far greater. That there is something far better in our future. And the Holy Spirit and all of its works are only there. They're there for the purpose of pointing us to something better. Pointing us to something that we should endure for. Something that is worth it. Now, uh, many of us likely live comfortable lives, right? I've got a foam mattress. I'm pretty comfortable myself. Uh, does anyone else get, get comfortable in this world, right? I think we, we live in the West. We can all attest to that, uh, that we experience some sense of comfort. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it can be in the Christian walk. We can become too comfortable in the world that we live in. We can become too comfortable with the way things are so that this is all we want for ourselves. We do not expect or want the future glory in heaven that God has promised us. We do not look forward when we become comfortable. Instead, we look at where we are and only seek to stay where we are. It's the job of Christians and has been the job of the church throughout history to look at the world and see it for what it is. A fallen world with sin. A fallen world where people suffer. A fallen world where we experience our own inadequacies, where we experience the offenses and inadequacies of others. And Christians, it's our job to notice those things and say that it's not okay for those things to exist, right? Quite frankly, it's our job to see the inadequacies of this world. Now, once we notice those things, the glory of heaven and the glory of our future becomes so much greater and what the Holy Spirit points us to as a down payment of sorts becomes that much greater. Now, uh, a down payment, right? That's one, one reason why we have manifestations of the Spirit. The second is for the work of the ministry in the edification of the church, right? When I say edification, I just mean building up anything that might make the church better. We all know that the church has been commissioned to spread the gospel. Each and every one of us are ministers of the gospel. Ephesians 4 makes that clear. You know, you might think of me as the minister, but all of us are ministers of the gospel and it is all of our job to spread that gospel. The gifts of the Spirit have been given to us for the purpose of building up the church, for spreading that gospel, for the work of the ministry. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, uh, it talks about the common good. It says to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, right? We're given manifestations not for ourselves, not for our own good, but for the good of the entire body. 1 Corinthians 14, 12 talks about the building up of, of the church. It says, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, 
strive to excel in building up the church. Right? These, are, these are very important purposes. Building up the church for the work of the ministry. We've all been equipped with things, right? Some of us teach, some of us encourage, but all of those things that we are given by the Spirit are for the sole purpose of building up the church body for the work of the ministry. It's not just to make someone feel good about themselves. It's to encourage them so they can do what they have been called to do. It's to build them up so they can carry out the tasks that God has given us. Now these two reasons, the down payment of heavenly perfection and the work of the ministry and edification of the church, these reasons seem very applicable today, right? We need reminded of the glory in the future that God has for us. And our church still needs built up, which seems like there's still some purpose for the spirit today. Uh, the only question then becomes, which gifts are we to use today, right? We're, we're talking about prophecy specifically today, but there's a question of which gifts should be used today. Some gifts have been deemed miraculous and uh, there's a lot of debate centering them, so centering around them. So things like healing, prophecy, or tongues have been deemed miraculous. And one camp says that those things existed for the sole purpose of authenticating uh, the early apostles' ministries, right? God gave them miracles and different things so that people could know that they were from God and so people could know that they were speaking on God's behalf or speaking the words of God. This is a group... Uh, the same group believes that other gifts, the miraculous gifts, have ceased to exist. They no longer have any function in the church, right? So things like prophecy, tongues, or healing uh, do not exist. And, you know, it's important to remember that this group, they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, we disagree on a big issue. We probably do church in different ways. But these people are our brothers and sisters in Christ and uh, we need to engage, engage this question honestly. Now, uh, as an aside, right, uh, when I was in college, I was, I was on the debate team, right? That, that's out there. Um, and uh, we, we, you know, we had to win debates, right? There were scholarships on the line. And so we did some stuff we weren't always proud of. And uh, we, we discovered that one of the easiest ways to win an argument, right, Probably the easiest way to win an argument is just to offend the other team, right? Like, if we can get them offended, then they're going to stop debating and just start scoffing, and it no longer becomes about substance, right? Uh, emotions might take over, and whoever can separate themselves from that can usually win, right? They're more rational, and they can engage what's going on more easily. So, so we did this from time to time, uh, just for whatever reason. Now, I, I say that. Because when we engage this question, right, we are a Pentecostal fellowship, when we engage this question of whether or not tongues or prophecy should be used, many times we are quick to get offended. We are quick to be offended when someone disagrees with us, when someone tells us that we are doing it incorrectly. Now, the reason I told you that story about my debate experience and my bad practices uh, is that getting offended is of no use to us. It is of no use in defending what the Word of God says. It is of no use in honestly exploring the truth. If we believe that this is the inspired Word of God, then what we've done for the past hundred years is of no relevance. 
I'm not saying that tradition doesn't matter. I'm saying the text matters more. And when we explore these questions, we shouldn't explore them with tradition that we're trying to defend, with practices that we're trying to defend. Our job instead is to look honestly at the word and ask, God, how do you want us to do this? Father, how do you want us to carry out your task and what do you want us to do? If, in fact, the text supports the view of those who think prophecy should not be used, then we should not use prophecy, right? If the Bible says that, and if the Bible teaches that, we shouldn't do it. Luckily, it doesn't. <laughs> the battleground, uh, you know, sort of the ground for discussion for this, uh, this question is 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13. Uh, we have it up here. Uh, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even, I ha even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Right? The, the purpose of this passage is to show that love is superior because it's eternal. It tells us very early on that prophecies, they will pass away. Right? There's going to be a time when we don't need prophecy anymore. Prophecy is only a partial fulfillment. It gives us partial knowledge. But there's going to be a time when we have full knowledge. We're not going to need it at some point in the future, right? So the center of the debate is on when will we no longer need prophecy? When, right? Is now the time that we don't need prophecy? Or is it sometime in the future? Verse 10 seems to answer that question. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away, right? So when the perfect comes... What's that mean? I'm not totally sure as of now. Uh, no one says that anymore. Um, perhaps a paraphrase of this is, when the perfect comes, prophecy and tongues and other imperfect gifts will pass away. So it all centers on when the perfect comes. But, but what's that, right? Verse 12, if you read further, seems to make that more clear. It says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. When the perfect comes seems to be a reference to re the return of the Lord. It seems to be a reference to the second coming. Face-to-face uh, -face is the phrase used throughout the Bible in the Old Testament uh, of being in the presence of God, of seeing him face-to-face -face in a different way. Now, the, the other view uh, that thinks that prophecy shouldn't be used today, they say that when the perfect comes is when Scripture was completed, right? Uh, when the Bible got, when they finished writing it, we no longer needed prophecy. Uh, th this doesn't seem to deal with the face-to-face -face language that's being used. Face-to-face -face seems to imply uh, the return of the Lord. So, so this seems to support the practice of using prophecy today because the Lord uh, did not return in 1988, uh, despite the 88 reasons. So... Um, <laughs> One objection, one objection to this is that in function, uh, when we use prophecy, it's going to supersede scripture, right? So if someone prophesies something, we will look at that prophecy before we look at scripture. And that's, 
that's, that's a legitimate objection, right? Perhaps that happens. Uh, one, one man uh, answers it like this. He says, the abuse of a gift does not mean that we must prohibit the proper use of the gift. Just because a gift can be used incorrectly does not mean it should not be used in the future. But we should, right, take this objection to heart and exercise caution. We should use discernment when prophecy is given. When there's new revelation given, we should weigh it against the scripture. Scriptures. Every major cult that's been created in the United States has come because of new revelation that has not been weighed against the scriptures. Think about groups who claim to be Christian but have additional texts, right? Those things have not been weighed against the scriptures. So we have groups who have strayed far because of the misuse of this gift. So we have the why, right? We know we have prophecy as a down payment of heavenly perfection and also for the work of the ministry. But, but what is prophecy, right? What goes into that? I think that's a fair question. And the best, the best summation of what it is that I've heard is that it's telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. You're just telling someone something that you think God has put on your heart. So perhaps God puts on my heart that I should encourage another person in this area, right? God puts that on my heart. I honestly approach the person and say, I think God has told me this. I'd like to encourage you in this area. And that's it, right? I don't have to, you know, shout. I don't have to do anything. I just honestly tell them this is what I think is happening. But there's the possibility that I'm wrong, right? That possibility makes this a little bit different than Old Testament prophecy. Uh, Deuteronomy 18, you know, it talks about the Old Testament prophets as speaking the direct words of God, right? If they were, in fact, wrong, Deuteronomy 18 says that they were not prophets, right? There was no reason to fear them. Now, you might be asking, well, isn't there, why isn't there some sense of continuity between Old Testament prophets and New Testament prophets? What, what happened, right? What's, what's the difference? Uh, rather than New Testament prophets being the same as Old Testament prophets, I think that New Testament apostles are the counterpart, counterparts of Old Testament prophets, right? They seem to be more comparable uh, to that group. Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians when, when he, he defends his own ministry and says that it's the very words of God that he's communicating. Now, when I say apostles, I'm talking about uh, the original apostles. Uh, you know, this word is used by different groups today, and I'm not, I'm not totally sure what they're referencing uh, when they say it. But uh, I, I'm talking about the original ones, so no apostolic group today, right? Not the same thing. That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, they, they, they could be right. They could be talking about something else, but right, this is what I'm talking about. Uh, so New Testament prophecy, differing from that of Old Testament prophecy, uh, has, right, it, it has a subjective part to it. There's a part of you it, where it can be incorrect. And we have an example of someone who's a little bit off, who's called a prophet in Acts 21. This is a guy named Agabus. Uh, Agabus walks up. Uh, he says, uh, 21, 10 through 11, it says, While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and says, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. I'd be uncomfortable if someone took my belt off, but uh, 
Agabus uh, takes his belt off, binds his own hands, and he prophesies to him. He says, this is what I think the Holy Spirit's telling me. If you go to Jerusalem, the Jews will bind your hands. Now, right, he's mostly right. When Paul goes to Jerusalem, like three paragraphs later, uh, he's bound, but it's by the Romans, right? So, so is it the case that God was wrong here? Right? It doesn't seem so. This seems to be consistent with the view that Agabus saw a vision from the Lord and then interpreted that, interpreted what he saw with his own fallible words, with his own human words, and presented to Paul what he thought God had spontaneously brought to mind, with what he thought God had brought to his mind for him to communicate. Now, uh, maybe, maybe this element of subjectivity uh, makes you want to avoid prophecy altogether, right? Because if we can be wrong, why would we want to do it? Uh, why would we want to avoid it if it could be bad? Uh, Paul addresses this very question in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21. He says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. There seems to be an obvious implication that some prophecy won't be good, right? Someone might be off. Someone might be wrong. We're, all, we're human. And if, in fact, we're communicating something through human words... There's a very real risk that we are going to be wrong. Rather than getting rid of prophecy altogether, Paul's advice is to test everything against Scripture. Is to test everything against what we know is true. So, how do we go about testing things today, right? Um, I think we should prayerfully consider every prophecy that we've been given, right? We don't need to just hear the prophecy and in one ear and out the other. Uh, perhaps you should consider these things in your own prayer time. And just ask the Lord, is there something you want me to take from this? Maybe this means writing them down, right? Most of us have paper here. We could easily write something down if we heard it. We believe it might be from God, and we want to consider it further and test it. Maybe it means that we need to start that practice so that we can further test these prophecies that are going on. Now, Paul seemed incredibly clear that we should not discourage prophecy because of this. Uh, and, uh, you know, I agree. Uh, many of us who might be uncomfortable with the subjective nature of this prophecy need just that in our lives. We need more of the subjective in our faith. We need the subjective relationship with the Lord. We need our relationship with the Lord to be personal. We need it to change us and work inside of us. We need to be more in tune to what God is speaking into our lives. And it's in that subjective that our relationship with God grows. It's in that very subjective thing that our personal relationship with the Lord grows. Now, this does not mean that we rely solely on the subjective, right? Just like we talked about before, we weigh everything subjective against what we know is objective, what we know is true. Uh, so the experiences we have at the altar where we hear the Lord speaking to us, we need to listen we need to be present and be asking the Lord, what is it you want me to take away from this? But we need to prayerfully consider those things and test them against what we know is true. Now, uh, we, know, we know what's going on, right, uh, with prophecy. We know why we're doing it. Um, but it also seems like prophecy is something that we should all desire. It says in 1 Corinthians 14.39 to earnestly desire prophecy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. So if we should earnestly desire it, the question then becomes, how do we go about doing it? 
right? How do I do this? So this, is, this seems odd. This isn't something I do in my everyday life. And uh, one of the first questions I think of is, won't this be terribly awkward, right? Welcome to my world. Everything I do is terribly awkward. But uh, sometimes we just have to, you know, you have to wade through the awkwardness. You have to struggle through and just determine that this is something I should be doing. There's a greater good that's worth a, a small, awkward conversation. I believe God wants me to do this, so I'm going to face the awkwardness, and I'm going to confront someone and just tell them what I think God has placed on my heart. Uh, now I have four, four guides or four pieces of advice for practicing prophecy, right? So if we're going to practice prophecy or just just going to practice communicating to others what God has placed on our hearts, right? Prophecy is a biblical word, but uh, if you call something prophecy, it seems like it has a lot of pressure. Uh, but if we're going to communicate what we think God has put on our hearts, I think there's four good guides we can use. The first is that we should do it with patience. If we are going to be used in this way, we need to be used with patience, we should never be so eager to be used by God that we make something up or that we stir something up inside of us because we are impatient. Instead, we should wait on God and recognize that we are only a tool that God is to use. And the time that we are to be used is when God decides to use us. We wait on God completely. When we wait with patience that's when God uses us rather than us misusing this gift. Now, the second thing, right? We wait with patience. The second is that we do this with humility. There should be no focus on you when you are being used in this. If, if the focus is on you and uh, people are looking at you and maybe glorifying you because, you know, you're so spiritual, uh, then I think we are approaching this in the wrong way. I think something has gone terribly wrong if when we are being used by God, focus is placed on us and our own spiritual well-being rather than God himself. I think when the focus comes to us rather than God, the, the very purpose of the gift is undercut. The very purpose of doing it is no longer there because the focus has come off of God. So, we need humility. We need to humbly approach God and ask to be used by Him rather than ourselves. Now, patience, humility, and the third is we need to do this with discernment. We should weigh everything that is said against the scriptures. We should critically evaluate everything that is said to be prophetic, right? Uh, I'm going to communicate something that I think God has put on my heart, but I fully expect you to weigh it against the scriptures. I fully expect you to consider it, and don't just take my word for it, because I am not perfect, right? I am not 100% shot. I want you to critically evaluate what I said. Now, if it's the case, uh, th there are some uh, who have taken to discouraging the critical evaluation of the teachings. Uh, one way this is done is uh, by quoting the, uh, thou shalt not touch God's anointed, uh, you know, if you critically examine anything. Um, you know, this, this seems to be misuse of scripture, um, but my encouragement is to, you know, avoid things that discourage the critical evaluation of what's being said. If someone doesn't want you to think about their teachings, I think it says more about the teaching uh, than it does about the teacher, right? Uh, so with discernment, we weigh these things against scripture. 
Now, the last thing, we have patience, humility, and discernment. And the fourth is, we should do all things with love. If the purpose of this gift, if the purpose of prophecy, if the purpose of speaking what God has placed in our hearts is for the work of the ministry, is for the building up the ch of the church and the common good, then all things that we do in this need to be done with love. All things that we, need, that we do in this need to be done with love in our hearts and with the good of others in mind. Now, uh, one way that prophecy or uh, speaking what God has placed in your hearts to other people uh, happens is with words of encouragement, right? Uh, has anyone ever had a word of encouragement given to them? Uh, maybe, maybe no one said, God put this on my heart, but they just approached you and encouraged you. Uh, that's the same thing. You don't have to tell someone that, uh, but you think God has told you to encourage them. Uh, you know, I have. Uh, Miss Mickey, you encouraged me in something that uh, was on my heart very deeply that I was struggling with, and you came up and just told me that you had faith in something, and uh, it worked. It worked greatly in my life and encouraged me deeply. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure Miss Mickey has done the same for for many people, uh, many people here, um, and that's of great value, right? Of great value to know that God is placing my needs on the hearts of others, to know that God has my needs in mind. And to know that God has equipped other people to help me with my walk, that's of great value in the work of the ministry. Of great value in what we were doing. Of great value in living the Christian life. Of walking throughout the world. And that should never be downplayed. Encouragement should never be downplayed. Now I want you to go ahead and bow your heads. Uh, I'd like to you know, ask you a, a couple questions. Um, Oftentimes, our experience in church can be more like that of a spectator. You know, we, we maybe come and we see God working. We see God doing things, and uh, we just kind of sit back and watch. We're not being used by God in anything. If that's you, if you have experienced church or your faith or God as a spectator, and you want that to change... If you would like your path and your walk to change so that you are fully active, being used by God, I'd like you to stand now. If you would like to be used by God in this way, to be used by God in the gift of prophecy, just listening to what God has for you and sharing it with other people, I would like for you to stand now so that we can pray with you, so that you can just honestly ask God to be used, so that you can honestly look to God and say, God, I surrender myself to you and ask that you would use me in great ways, that you would use me to encourage others, that you would use me to communicate what you want communicated above all else. Now, maybe it's the case that you've been used in the gift of prophecy many times, that this isn't something new to you. Maybe it's the case that you've always been involved in the gifts of the Spirit but you just need a refreshing. You need the Spirit of God to pour into your life and refresh inside of you so that you can humbly look to Him for what He wants done. If that's you, I'd like for you to stand. I'd like for you to stand and just look to God for a refreshing spirit, for a refreshment inside of you. God's Spirit can do great things with us. When we surrender our lives to Him. When we accept that we are to be used by Him. 
Butler's going to lead us in a song. And in this, I just want us to take this time to ask God to use us, to humbly surrender everything that we are to him so that we might be used. with everyone standing let's bow our heads and pray together Father God we surrender everything that we are to you Lord we surrender our words God we surrender our minds and we surrender our actions Lord so that we might be used by you God so that we might be filled with your spirit Lord so we might help to carry out your work to carry out the work of your ministry Father God, go with us. Lord, help us this week. Jesus, help us to be used by you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming out. You're dismissed.